Well, oh, that was the fox hole. That was the fox yeah. hole. Welcome everybody out there. Boy, hey, this is, what is this? April. I forgot what it was. April 27th. Man, the month is almost over. We got, hey, Rich with us tonight. He reminded me it was the end of the month. You know, we got a CQ uh, a segment tonight. Man, time is flying. Uh, it'll be May uh, here real soon. I wish we were having Hamvention, but we're not. But, hey, things are starting to get better. Hey, if you're listening out there on International Shortwave on WBCQ 7490 kHz, send us an email and let us know where you are. Tell us how you're hearing the station. And this uh, show is uh, ham radio. It's uh, amateur radio. And uh, if you have Internet where you are, uh, this show is actually live on Tuesday evenings at 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time on YouTube.com slash W5KUB. And uh, if you're out there listening, of course, it's, you're listening on Thursday between 5 and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on 7490. Uh, we welcome you. Um, 40 meter net tonight, not too many check-ins. The band was a lot better. No static, noise level was low. Uh, maybe next week we'll have uh, a little bit better. Uh, participation. Uh, I need everybody to do this for me, if you will. Hit your subscribe button on the YouTube there. Hit subscribe because subscribe really helps us. The more subscriptions we get on our channel, it helps to elevate our rankings and it helps to promote our show. And you know, as you circle, they come to the show from just looking at other videos. They see us there and, and they join us. All right, we're going to give away a prize tonight. Katie's going to do that, and uh, it's going to be another uh, illuminated ham radio call plaque, I think. Got a special guest tonight. Paul Daniels is with us, BK0PD. Uh, he's down in KC Station, Antarctica. So that's going to be fun. Oh, we got so much to do. It was a little confusing tonight. We got the whole group here with us tonight, man. It was. Uh, it was uh, yeah, really interesting here before the show, but uh, we're going to bring it to you. Let's see. Echo here, too. Somebody said he had an echo. Uh, I bet that took care of it right there. All right. Well, they just don't need to know that you're in a big stadium with 60,000 people. Watching. The stadium is big here. Actually, uh, actually, <laughs> I'm outside, guys. You know, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm outside, and we've got this big uh, bowl thing behind us where they do concerts. That's what's... That's what's nice. happening here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, 
All right, let's let's just get started here because we got a lot to cover tonight. Boy, I, and I even got so many things I want to talk about. I don't think there's going to be time tonight to talk about it. I really don't. So hey, let's first say hello. Looks like Katie's up first. I see her there. Let's just say hi to Katie. Katie, how you doing? Doing great, Tom. Hi, everybody. Glad to be back home. I uh, had a terrific vacation down in Florida and got to see Ricardo KV4OP and share the SpaceX launch with he and Daisy, his wife, and his mom. Uh, we had a great time. It was a great way to celebrate Dwayne's birthday. And ooh, after ooh. eight day, or 10 days of wonderful weather, it's nice to be back in Wyoming, which is turning green. So but I'm excited about tonight's show and looking forward to hearing from Paul tonight. So really glad you could join us. And we'll talk with Rich here shortly about what's happening with CQ. All well, yeah, right. That's about it. Cool. All right. Who's next out there? Let's, let's find Glenn. Glenn? Are you there, yeah. Glenn? I'm here. I'm here. There he is. What I'm, are you I'm doing now back, besides having to work? I'm on the side of the stadium. <laughs> yeah. How you doing, Glenn? Oh, hanging in there. Um, All right. Just finished my first week as a new Amazonian in their IT department. Yeah, I'm so, I feel so sorry for you having to work now, man. Oh man, yeah, it's tough, and you know, hey, you know, the 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 peak season's fixing to come up, and they're going to have me out there packing your packages for you. All right, all so, right. But, well, uh, I want a discount. You're on your own there. All right, Alan. <laughs> hey, Alan, come here and tell us what's new up in New Jersey. All righty. Hey, good evening, everybody from New Jersey. Uh, not too much new going on here. You may notice the background here uh, today is. Uh, is Morse code day because it's uh, Samuel Morse's birthday, but uh, not too much going on. Actually, expecting some really warm weather here. Uh, we've got you sent the Florida weather up here, Katie. We're supposed to get into the mid 80s tomorrow, so uh, my dog won't like it, but hey, it's, it is what it is. <laughs> anyway, that's what we got going on here. I'm uh, really interested to hear what's going on and and the South Pole there with uh, or at Antarctica with Paul later on here. So uh, I actually got my, my KC4 AAA uh, QSL card here from 1999. So you know, you know, I was just thinking, I was just thinking today, I've been a ham 57 years, and I think I've only worked Antarctica maybe one time, maybe two. I probably have a card, but isn't that something? I mean, it must, place, must be real rare down there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, it must be rare. I've never gotten it. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's see, Rich. Uh, how you doing tonight, man? I see, Rich. I, Rich, I see you still haven't got a haircut yet. That's correct. And uh, I've got some people telling me I need to, like my mom, who I uh, <laughs> got to go see for the first time in two years. Oh wow, man! Ago. And uh, but then there's other people who, particularly people with a lot less hair, who say that uh, out of respect for their inability to grow it, that I should keep it. So well, we'll see I, where it ends up. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's a good point there. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Well, okay. Uh, all right. Let's just kick this thing off. Katie, come on in here. And you, you've known Rich for a long time. Katie, didn't you used to work some with with CQ at one time? I did. Yeah. Rich and I hung out at a couple of ham fests together also at the beginning. So yeah, I've known Rich. Even before yeah. I worked, uh, back when I worked at ARRL, we got to know each other. So it's been a long time. So, back when he didn't have long hair. <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah. back when I had short hair. Yeah. yeah. I think I did. I think I did too. It was kind of <laughs> short and spiky and multiple colors. So yeah. <laughs> huh. But anyway, it's uh. the end of the month, so of course that means it's time for our CQ segment. We get to talk with Rich Moseson, W2VU of the 
um, the editor-in-chief extraordinaire of CQ Magazine, who lets us know what's happening and what's coming up in the next the next episode, <laughs> the next issue of CQ. I can't believe we're already talking about the May issue. So what's coming up, Rich? Let's hear some good stuff. All sorts of great stuff. First of all, though, I noticed on, on your Facebook page today that there seem to be a bunch of people out there who think that we are all digital. Yeah. I'll let you know that we do still have a print issue and it's still out there every month and uh so that uh, we have both print and digital and uh plan to continue that way uh great at least the foreseeable future in the may issue we've got all sorts of cool stuff we start out with the ham radio hunger games this is a cool story about a net in florida um who was members got together to help their, each other and their family members, friends, and neighbors schedule appointments for COVID vaccines. A lot of people were having a lot of trouble with it and with dealing with the computers and, and the internet, especially older folks, and they were having a lot of trouble scheduling appointments. So these guys all got together and uh, coordinated through their net um, on 40 meters uh, who they were managing to get uh, appointments for and when, and it was a real, very, very cool thing they did. Um, our main uh, <clears throat> topic for this issue, of course, is the CW results of the CQ Worldwide DX contest last November. Um, once again, record number of participants, record number of logs. We're going to see if that continues as the pandemic winds down and people manage to get out and go other places again and do other things. But uh, we had, uh, let's see, how many, over 9,100 logs submitted for the CW weekend of the CQ Worldwide and a very similar number for the single sideband weekend. We've also got three antenna articles, one of which is is our CQ Classic for the month, which is uh, a two-band antenna with low impedance feed. And the interesting thing about this article is less the topic of it than the author, who is Gene Black, W2ESO, who was later the editor of CQ for a while, and his main contribution to CQ's history was bringing George Jacobs, W3ASK, on board as propagation editor. And George held that job for over 50 years before retiring from it. Our other antenna articles, a little more recent, um, W1IS and KC1DSQ, who are frequent contributors, have a new design for an off-center fed dipole for 43.6 meters. And a really cool idea from a couple of hams in India, VU2KPJ and VU2XQ, on a hammock Yagi for HF. It's a uh, single, it's not, not rotatable. It's a wire Yagi, and it's basically set up like a, a, a hammock would be. Let me see if I can get the camera mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then just suspended between trees. Very, very cool idea. Um, getting into our columns... Uh, WA2NDM and Maths Notes has some simple test equipment for experimenters, so uh, the stuff you can build yourself. 
Uh, for shortwave listeners out there, listening post editor Jerry Dexter reports on the passing of uh, Bob Big Signal Brown, KW3F. He was uh, one of the guiding lights of the North American Shortwave Association and uh, founded the SWL Net, which was on uh, Sunday mornings, uh, 40 meters for a very long time. Our emergency communications editor, <clears throat> N8BHL, excuse me, has uh, another one of his surveys of uh, this time with a lot of uh, emergency managers to look at the ongoing role of amateur radio in uh, emergency response these days. Uh, KO0V, K0OV, uh, homing in editor, has uh, an article about uh, amateur radio direction finding or ARDF making a big comeback this year, which uh, we're all looking forward to since the uh, International Championships and the U.S. Championships last year had to be canceled. K0NEB in his kit building column has a look at the DX Engineering Noise Loop QRM sniffer um, that can work well with the uh, amateur radio direction finding because one of the main reasons for learning how to do direction finding is to sniff out QRM and uh, track it down. Our digital editor, N2IRZ, gets a little bit off of, off track of digital, and he's, his title is Playing with the Solar System. And what he's talking about is, this, is solar power and uh, doing alternative power on a hobby scale and budget. So that's a very interesting article. Um, Wayne Yoshida, KH6WZ and Ham Notebook, writes about makers, youth, and ham radio and uh, reports on the um, virtual ham expo last month that was a very interesting show once again our new vhf plus editor and for dtf takes us back to basics with a column on making the most of your technician class license and uh, you know a lot of people get their ham licenses and they think that all there is out there are repeaters and fm and uh, there's a lot of places and not a whole lot of activity on repeaters and FM. But there's a whole lot you can do with a technician license across the VHF, UHF spectrum and quite a bit on HF as well. So uh, Trent covers all that in his column this month. Our awards editor, KI4KWR, has a cool award called WUST, Worked U.S. Territories, mm. which mm. is really, really interesting. Um, and uh, contesting editor N3QE writes about the debut of a new category in the WPX contest called multi-distributed. This is something that kind of blossomed with the pandemic, but was already on its way to being developed, which is having multiple stations all operating under the same call sign. Uh, basically, you can so that everybody could operate from home stations uh, all within the same country and zone. That's the only restriction on it. But you can all operate on a multi-operator distributed basis. You don't all have to be in the same place at the same time. And you don't have to do um, remote operating to li linking to operate from a single station. You can operate a bunch of different stations in a bunch of different locations and enter in this multi-distributed category. I think we're going to see a lot of growth in that area. And finally, 
Our propagation editor in W7US talks about the month of May bringing sporadic E propagation to HF as well as VHF. And we got a, got a preview of that a couple of weeks ago with uh, some great six meter openings uh, all over the US and uh, even some transequatorial propagation down to South America with some sporadic E hops up into the midsection of the country, which usually doesn't get to take advantage of TEP. Yeah, I saw people posting on Facebook about it. Like, I think I, I saw Kay Craigie N3KN posted something about, like, I just decided to sit down on the radio and all of a sudden, boom, this, you know, crazy opening just happened on 6. She was, you know, it was pretty exciting. I'm like, darn it, I wish I was home. <laughs> six, it's, but it's getting closer to that time of year for six meters. Yeah. That's why they call it the magic band. Absolutely. So, uh, <laughs> yep, it's, it's still my favorite band of all. So that's basically a look at what's coming up in May. We still have our Spring Fever subscription special going on. If you want to check out our website at www.cq-amateur-radio.com and uh, take advantage of the special offers on both print and digital subscriptions. And yes, print and digital. Uh, <laughs> we do still have print. And uh, that's about it. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much, Rich. And I know you kind of zipped through it fast so we could get to Paul tonight. <laughs> Everybody's chomping at the bit to hear what he has to say down there. But sounds like another great issue. And thank you so much, as always, for supporting the show. And we appreciate CQ's partnership and, and help. And you, of course, joining us every month. It's always fun to catch up and hear about what's happening. And it was nice to see your pictures on Facebook when getting to see your mom. So it's always it's been nice to see people are you know, having the chance to start reconnecting again. And it's definitely good for all of our, our mental wellness. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, we, we've been talking, I talk to her every day um, and we do a once a week Skype call, yep. but uh, there's really nothing like being together in person. Absolutely. And, uh, for sure. Well, thank you again. And I guess we'll see you in a month or so. Yeah. Gosh. And obviously as always, yeah. you're always free to and welcome to hang out with us and, and come be rich, part of the peanut gallery <laughs> rich are you going to be at huntsville that's the next ham fest it will be at are you going to be we there? are we are watching and waiting at this point uh we would love to be there and and because uh, of course we're involved with the young ham of the year award uh -huh. and uh we're just uh, kind of still in a wait and see mode i think it's gonna be a good one we'll uh we'll see you there i think you, you'll make it hope so Thank you. Hey, Katie, uh, you want to yeah. let, let's do this, Katie. You want to tell them about the prize we're going to give out? I and then, and then do. We'll take, then we'll take a, just a quick break while everybody's hitting the enter key, and then we'll come back and we'll give the prize away. So go ahead and tell them what we got here. All right. Let me get centered up here. So this is a custom-designed laser engraved call sign plaque with your call sign and name, and it also lights up which is super cool. This is donated by Allen Laser Creations, Joe Allen, KC0FWG, who also happens to be our son, <laughs> has a new business and wanted to get a little promotion out there and let everybody mm -hmm. know about it. And also, um, so he makes call sign plaques as well as other things. But um, so this is week three of our don of his donations to um, to W5KUB and the Amateur Radio Roundtable. So everybody who's in the chat room, well, while we're taking a break, if you'd at least pop in the chat, say hello, something, yeah. just so we can see you in a participant list, and we will 
randomly pick one of you for um, winning that. And then um, Joe, who's located in Fargo, will get working right away on creating your new call sign plaque. And um, we'll happily send right. that out to you. So if we get and anybody I, that doesn't really understand what Katie said, just hit, hit a, say hi and hit the enter key, say something, because the YouTube chat room does not show you're here unless you're right. chatting. So go ahead and say something. And that'll populate the list. We'll have everybody's name. And then yep. Hambot. There we go. Yeah, I, I, I'm I, seeing I it start Hambot, to show. Okay. Hambot is in uh, in Wyoming this week with Katie. So we'll see uh, what Hambot does here. Perfect. So, all right. We'll be back in just a minute. The great outdoors are calling. Get outside and under the stars with one of ICOM's ultimate SDR transceivers. The IC705 is a perfect transceiver for hams who enjoy both the great indoors and the outdoors. It's a perfect QRP companion. The base station has features and functionality at the tip of your fingers and a portable package. And it covers HF 6 meters, 2 meters, and 70 centimeters. And guess what? It weighs in at just under 2 pounds. It has a 4.3 inch touchscreen and it's got a live band scope and waterfall. It'll run 5 watts with a BP272 or 10 watts on 13.8 volts DC. It runs all modes, including D-Star. The speaker microphone comes standard. The perfect accessory for the 705 is the LC192 backpack. It has a special compartment for your IC705 and room for all your accessories. Create your own band opening with the IC9700. This transceiver radio brings direct sampling to the UHF VHF weak signal world. This all mode transceiver is loaded with innovative features that are just sure to keep you busy. It has a 4.3 inch color touchscreen and spectroscope and waterfall. It has smooth satellite operation with 99 satellite channels, and it's full duplex operation in satellite mode. Heard it, worked it, and logged it with ICOM 7300. It's a high-performance, innovative HF transceiver with a compact design that will far exceed your expectations. This innovative HF transistor digitizes the RF before various receiver stages to reduce the generated inherent noise in different IF stages. The IC7300 is the radio that changed the way of entry-level HF. Visit www.icomamerica/amateur for more information on ICOM radios. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art antenna tuners for every amateur need. From QRP to QRO, fixed stations, portable and remote, an LDG tuner will match your radio to your antenna using our lightning-fast, proprietary tuning algorithms. LDG is a family-owned and operated company dedicated to bringing innovative, quality products to the amateur market. All LDG products carry a full two-year warranty that is fully transferable. Support is only a phone call or email away. We're always here to help you. Visit us on the web at ldgelectronics.com. All right, we are back. Uh, I think Cam Katie knows. Hambot has picked somebody. I don't know who it is. Katie, do you want to type in the chat room? Yeah, it's going to be tonight is KD5PUR. Andy, you are the winner Andy tonight. Won, huh? cool. Oh, wow. KD5PUR won the uh, ham radio call plaque. Cool. Congratulations, uh, Andy. Thank you for playing. And I do have, um, I'll add in, okay, so again, I'll plug in the in the chat box, but alanlasercreations.com. And for anybody who's interested on from the show, if you put in, um, on, there's a coupon code, 
It's uh, WY7YL-20. You'll get 20% off of one of the items. He's hey, got things like... What, what if what if I type in WY7YL-50? He'll just ignore you. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Hey, um, and I'll add that in the chat room. So, yeah. again, thank you to Joe, KC0FWG, and my daughter-in-law, Christy, for donating these plaques. And uh, um, hopefully... And I know John's got his already kc7dri he was our first winner and is enjoying that so we got that right out so we'll thanks for playing and we'll do this again i won't be here next week because i have to uh well actually i might be i might just be a few minutes late i have to go to our local city council for work but otherwise we'll have uh our last one next week all right now i just want everybody to know what we're gonna give away one more call plaque right uh yeah. Next, either next week or the week after. So right. look, guys, there's only one more free one coming out there. I want everybody in the chat room to go ahead and order one because you're probably not going to win it. Only one person's going to win. So yep. all you <laughs> other people, just go ahead and order it there. Katie gave you the website, so go ahead and uh, support them, man. All right. Hey, let's all jump right. over. Let's jump over and go to our guest tonight, and that will be uh, Paul. Uh, Daniels, VK0PD, I guess. Or do you have another call? Hey, come in here, Paul. Say hello. Just Paul. Hey, g'day, g'day, Tom. G'day, everyone. Hey, there he is, right there. Now, is your call VK0PD? That's your call, right? Yeah, so VK0PD, uh, VK0 is the Australian Antarctic call. Uh-huh. Uh, so VK0PD is my call down here, and back home I'm VK2PD, uh, PAD. So, uh, okay, yeah, unfortunately, cool. there's no more two-letter calls back in uh, New South Wales where I live, so I had to add an extra letter in. So I've got all three of my initials rather than two. But, uh, yeah, it's it, it's fantastic to be down here and, uh, and great to be on the show. So uh, hello to everyone out there. Yeah, man, we are so happy to have you tonight. And um, we will, uh, we'll pro- we're going to have a lot of questions for you. All of us, I've, man, I've got a list of questions so long here. Wow. Hey, uh, you know, I was so glad when I found you and you said that you would love to come on a show. And and, and uh, I think it's just neat. We we don't have too many guests from remote places like where you are. And you're really remote, right? I mean, there's nobody in the next town that you can go over and see, is there? <laughs> the next- <laughs> no, Tom, uh, no towns down here. So uh, yeah. uh, where I am, Casey Station, the closest thing to us is... Uh, I don't know, 500 kilometers away to the next, uh, I think it's a Chinese base. So, uh, yeah, a long way away from everything. Oh, wow, man. Okay, I don't, I don't know where to start. Just, hey, um, okay, first question. Um, I don't know where to start. First of all, tell us how we're communicating tonight. I, I think we're, we're using some type of satellite link, and it's working very well. Yeah, yeah, so we're, our internet here is served up by a satellite Um I've heard rumors that they want to to run a fiber cable down here, but that's uh, that's never going to happen. No. I don't know who's come up with that idea. No. <laughs> but uh, yeah, a fair bit of delay in the satellite, but uh, it does work, so it's not too bad. Yeah, yeah. I I, I can't see. I I, I was in uh, telecom business for like thirty five years, and there's no way they're going to run a fiber cable down to you. That's a big place down there, you know. Oh man. Hey, so what do you what do you guys do for power? Do you have like do you have solar? Do you have gasoline, petro, uh, LP? What do you what do you do to get power down there and heat? 
Uh, so our, our main source of power, we have uh, two powerhouses, a main powerhouse and a, an emergency powerhouse. So uh, in the main powerhouse, we've got four diesel generators uh, and they can deliver about 170 kilowatts each. Hmm. Uh, and in the backup powerhouse, emergency powerhouse, we have two generators that I think can do about 250 kilowatts each. Uh, we also have 30 kilowatts of solar on here, but obviously solar uh, down here through the winter is pointless. Uh, the sun's too low and, and the solar energy is very, very low, so it, uh, yeah. it does not really does nothing for us. But in the summertime, it's a good, good benefit. Uh, but yeah, mostly diesel uh, generators is what we run off. So, there, but there are months during the year that people can't get to you. Is that right? I mean, that no one can get to you, or yeah. you can't leave. How, how do you have enough fuel to last? Uh, well, yeah, pretty much uh, the sort of middle of March to the end of October, uh, we're cut off from the rest of the world. Uh, but we, we keep in stock about a million litres of uh, what they call special Antarctic blend diesel. So they add an additive to it so it doesn't uh, go all like jelly and freeze. Mm. And, uh, yeah, we've got plenty of that and we've got two big fuel farms. So you've got a separate supply in case something goes wrong. So uh, it's pretty well thought out and, uh, and pretty safe. Wow. Well, okay. So we're going to get to ham radio in just a few minutes, but this is just uh, really exciting talking to you. So you say you're, you're March through October, you're cut off from everybody. You, you can't leave. No one can come there. You can't leave. Is that right? Yeah. So um, at sort of after March, the sea ice gets too thick and extends too far out for any icebreakers to get to us. And uh, the air temp is too low to get planes to fly there. Engines and wings freeze up. So uh, wow. it's a very, very difficult uh, proposal to get here. Some, I have heard of uh, emergencies where they've got a plane in the McMurdo and then done intracontinental flights across to here somehow, but uh, yeah. they can take weeks to like, line up a weather window. Well, so, yeah, I, we're, we're pretty much my, my question was, if you have to have your appendix out, what's going to happen, man? You got somebody there that can take your appendix? They're there, right. How many people are there with you, Paul? Uh, at the moment, Kate, around about 100 in summertime. Wow. Yeah. Okay. You know you're in trouble when you open up the first aid kit and there's a mirror and a scalpel. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, it, it, it has happened. A doctor here did have to remove their own appendix a long time ago. Is that so, right? Uh, a doctor, yeah. a doctor, a doctor actually removed his own appendix there? Yeah. I, I'm not sure. I don't think it was at our base, yeah. uh, but it was one of the uh, Antarctic stations. Well, you know, I, I wish we had uh, our astronaut friend Doug Wheelock with us because he went through some of the same training you did. Uh, he had to become the doctor on the space station, and they sent him to a hospital uh, to learn all these things. And I guess they do the same thing with you, right? You you get medical training. Yeah, so not all of us do. I didn't get it this time. But, um, yeah, we'll have a select group of about four tradespeople or four, four other people on station who will go and get two weeks of training uh, in the Royal Hobart Hospital. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> a bit of a scary thought. Eddie, 1961, April 29th, 1961. What happened? What happened? Then? So, Dwayne just looked it up. He said it was April 29th of 1961 that that surgery occurred. <laughs> oh. It was a oh, Russian doctor. Wow. Oh, okay. <laughs> thank yeah, thank you, I, Google. I, you know, I just saw <laughs> that in the chat room. They said Russian guy. So, hey, people I thought are, there was a more recent one about five, six years yeah. ago. People are people are really researching and getting into this uh, interview here. Uh, wow. Was it? They said his name was Rambo. Did you say? Yeah. You're kidding. You're kidding. Uh, 
Yes, that was Glenn. Glenn. You that can't trust Glenn. anything Glenn, Glenn says. That was Glenn. Okay. So okay. So, hey, I saw so it on the internet, it's real. So Paul, Paul. So man, you're you're isolated down here. You don't have any visitors to come see you guys. Uh, uh, no one. You're just kind of alone down here. How how long have you been there, and how much longer are you staying, Paul? Uh, so I, I got the option to start late this year. I've got a, uh, a family at home and I've got like a, a two-year-old baby. I'm not quite two yet. So uh, I wanted to have Christmas with him. So I got down here at uh, the start of February and I'll probably be here till next February. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's very isolated. Um, luckily, we do have the, the satellite connection back home so we can uh, we can keep in touch with everyone back home. But, yeah, we're, we're locked off. It's You're on your own down here if anything goes wrong. Oh wow, man! So, what is um, what is it that your profession is that brought you down there? Uh, so I've got uh, I've got two trades. I'm a uh, industrial electrician, so I do a lot of automation and that sort of uh, workload. And I've also held a, a trade as an instrument electrician, so uh, uh, do all level and flow measurements and that. But um, it was a really random way that I uh, found out about work down here. I had a friend who was in charge of. Uh, the Bureau of Meteorology in Australia. So they, they do all their weather forecasting and we were talking about scuba diving and he knew some people down here. So they uh, they offered to put my resume in because I'm, I'm heavily into diving back home. I do a lot of cave diving and deep ocean stuff. And uh, I didn't get the job. You, you need to be a commercial diver now. But once I found out there was work down here, I, I started Googling and uh, applied and, and got a job down here in 2015. So this is my third time back. Is this, wow. is this your third wow. trip? Third trip there? Yep, yep, third trip. Wow. You must really like it down there. Do you guys have uh, like a movie theater or something you can go to and watch movies at night? Yeah, we, we've got our own little cinema. We've got a, yeah. a small gymnasium. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it's quite good. Well, very good, man. You're going to need something because, you know, hey, well, let's talk a minute about ham radio, and I'm sure we're going to get back to a lot of other uh, questions too, but uh, – so, you know, like uh, uh, Al and I were just mentioning, I mean, that's a pretty rare place down there to talk to. I've talked to him one time. Um, do you make a lot of contacts? Do you hear the U.S. much from down there? And, and tell us about your antenna. I don't think you have just a great antenna down there, do you? Yeah, well, um, it, it's very busy on the radio down here. It's... Uh, extremely popular i i never in my wildest dreams fathomed how popular i'd be and uh mm-hmm. i get on the radio most weekends for a couple of hours and i usually get off the radio because i i just have a brain meltdown uh once the the japanese stations start coming in late afternoon you get hundreds of stations at once and you, you cannot pick call signs out it just it it just uh exhausts your your brain mentally so yeah, I do uh, about four hours a day, five hours a day on the weekends. Uh, and I'm running a uh, inverted V fan dipole. So I can do 40 metres, 30 metres, 20 metres and 17. Um, and that that's the kind of antenna I run at home and I run on soda trips. So I do a lot of soda activations back home. And uh, I just found fan dipoles to be a really uh, versatile antenna that covers think, all I- the bands you pretty much want to do. I think I have a picture of your dipole. Let me see if I can find it here. Uh, well, no, that's well, that might that's part of it right there. <laughs> Isn't that part, that's yeah, part that's, of your antenna, uh, right? Yeah. So the thing I do here, because we get such big uh, storms, we get like eighty to a hundred knot see. winds. 
I take the antenna down before the storm. And uh, this area here where we're looking at right now doesn't usually get heavy snow accumulation. So I laid my fan dipole down there before the storm hit and, and weighted it down with rocks. And when I came back the next day in places, it was six feet under snow. So it took me three days to dig it out. So you got six yeah, feet. A, of, you got six feet of snow on top of your antenna. Wow. Yeah, yeah, in one yeah, night, man. And it's it's all compacted down. It's uh, you really struggle to dig it. Yeah. So uh, let's see. I got a picture. I think your op- your radio and your operation here. I think this is it right here. Oh, that's not it. That's not. Here we go. Here we go. Is it? This is the ham shack. I think. Yeah, that was uh, so. Initially, when I got here, I was I was searching for places to operate from, and uh, just throwing antennas up all over and trying to find somewhere with no interference. And this is what we call our hobby hut, where uh, the people who aren't trades people in the summertime can go and do little projects, and and they've got tools. So, oh, okay. uh, I didn't have an entry for the cable, so I just brought the cable through the the window, oh. and, uh, and I ran there from about two weeks time. So it it worked quite well. I'm not, I'm in a different part of that building now, uh-huh. uh, on a better setup. That's it there. Yep. Um, so I've got a proper cable entry now, and I've got the uh, the linear amplifier running, and uh, it, it's quite good. It, it stays at about uh, eighteen degrees Celsius, um, which I'll just have a look up. I'm not really sure with my conversions here. About sixty five degrees Fahrenheit. So uh, it's quite that's a comfortable fairly, uh, temperature warm. in yeah. there. That's fairly warm there. Okay. Yeah. So in this room, uh, different hobbies. Maybe some, well. Would it be hobbies like woodworking or anything like that? There are no trees down here. There's no lumber, right? No, no. People bring everything with them to do oh, their yeah? own hobbies. Like you, you sort of have an idea and, and they plan ahead. So, yeah, oh. that's where they mostly do all their work. They've got little saws and, and everything in there. Yeah, okay. Uh, let's see. I've, I've just got a few pictures, random pictures here. Uh, let me just circle through yeah. some and you tell us what they are. Righto. Uh, so uh, that's looking down. <clears throat> if you look on my QSL cards or most of the photos of Casey, there's a big sign with uh, everywhere, like pointing all the different uh, destinations on Earth. So that's looking from the sign uh, back. And that red building on the left is where we live, like our living quarters. And you can see in the middle there my squid pole standing up uh, behind my shack. Uh, so that's uh, – I have to take that down, obviously, every time we get wind because it, it's too fragile. But uh, – it's broken a few times now, but uh, that's uh, the end of that row of buildings you can see of containers is where I operate from. Okay. That's a, a beautiful spot. I see snow. I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm yeah, looking so at. Yeah, that's, so that, that's where those uh, the photos of those antennas you showed before, that's uh-huh. what it looks like normally, like really light snow. Um, and I just lay things down and they just pull straight out of the – out of the ground, it's or out of the snow. It's not hard, but okay. uh, yeah. Well, you got some nice tracked vehicles there to get around, go sightseeing in. Yeah, yeah, we've got the uh, they're the Haglands. I think they're a Canadian vehicle that uh, which you can't buy anymore. We haven't been able to get for a long time, so uh, we maintain those. We've got uh, four of them here uh, for general use, and then there's another uh, two for emergencies. So they're quite good to get around. And quite comfortable, uh, a little bit tight, but uh, they do the trick. Yeah, let me let me ask you a question. Uh, there's people in the chat room wanting to know when you're going to have your next uh, schedule or skid on uh, HF. That would be very difficult to say, but do, I guess do you have Facebook down there? Are you on any of the Facebook groups? 
Uh, I'm on a few, but uh, for my skeds, I, I've got my own little blog site, uh, vk2pad.com. Okay. Uh, and I just post all my skeds up there. But uh, obviously, um, just people need to appreciate too that, like, if I put a sked up that I'm going to operate the next day, yeah. the weather can turn violent and I, I can't get out. So, um, yeah, yeah. It's, I try to keep everyone updated. So, I would like to invite you, if you have the time, to join our Facebook group. We have 12,000 hams in our Facebook group, and it's, it's just W5KUB. Join that, and people okay. people can actually, after watching you here, they can actually communicate there easily with you through uh, through Facebook. And there's so many people that want to make a contact with you. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely do that. Tom. Okay. Uh, I saw so, an interesting question in the chat room from uh, John AC8XU. He says he's asking, "How do you ground your station?" You ice it. Uh, yeah, I, I just that's don't. What, <laughs> yeah, I figured. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, well, the the ground conditions here are just terrible. So even if I drove big ground rods in, you, you'd achieve nothing. It wouldn't do anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you could drive your ground rod in and put a lot of salt around it, but then that might melt. That might start to melt down there, and you don't want that, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the the other thing is like there's zero moisture in the soil. It's all ice, so. Uh, there's nothing to really conduct. The the ground conductivity oh, wow. here is is terrible. So you say there's zero zero moisture, huh? Yeah, it's it's they, it is a desert here. Uh, oh, I, I didn't realize so. that. I thought it's just ice, water, ice. I thought that would be you know, but I'm learning something. You, you get a bit of water in the summertime when it melts, but yeah. what happens is that water melts into the ground, freezes shatters all the rock in the ground and just does it over thousands of years so we've got this uh this uh, earth that's <clears throat> devoid of anything really good so it's just all broken up rock there's no soil uh, and in the winter time it's frozen solid so there's there's no conductivity there so paul do you do you guys melt snow for drinking water uh We've got a, a lake out the back that fills with snow in the summertime and melts and then freezes. And what we do with that is we lower a uh, what we call a melt bell, which is a big copper bell, into that lake in the summer. Okay. And then we pump hot water through that bell in the winter and melt the ice around it. And then we suck that water out and, and oh, reuse man. that water. Okay. All right. So we're limited on water. Very, uh, very unique living conditions down there. Uh, it, look, it looks like the yeah, land is very flat. I don't see a lot of hills around your place there. Yeah, looking even at the no, on uh, pk2pad.com looks like looks like that was I guess taken during the summertime because actually you can see some some land. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it does melt out in the summertime. Um, it is rather flat here at, uh, at Casey. We've got the glacier behind us, which uh, most of my photos never show, uh, and that's kilometers thick. But it's just a gradual uh, gradual incline, so it's it's not very obvious. And being wide, it doesn't stand out. Yeah, I wonder, uh, I mean, like, like I said, I don't think I've ever worked your station down there. I'm sure I haven't, but the only time I've ever worked Antarctica was uh, this, uh, uh, KC4 AAA down in Adminson Scott, which I guess is just outside the, the actual South Pole at 90 degrees south. But that's what just the unique thing about this card, you know, latitude is 90 degrees south. <laughs> so uh -huh. Longitude, yeah. yes. Right? <laughs> Whatever direction happened to be pointing. Yeah, that but, would be uh, really interesting at one point. Every direction is north. You could get lost. Right. Yeah. Well, the one, one interesting thing that I thought I want to compare it to where you are in Casey Station. It says the the altitude down at Edmondson Scott was ninety five hundred feet, 
but the ice thickness was 9,300 feet. So it's like, so it's like 9,200 feet of ice and then 200 foot of land above oh, sea, sea level. So I don't know what it's like where you yeah. are, but it's a, uh, I guess you're, you're, you're probably not quite that high. Yeah. Well, here's a, here's yeah, a, we're, we're, yeah. go ahead, go ahead, Paul. Yeah. We're at, uh, we're at 66 degrees South here, uh, Alan. So, um, we're right on the coast. Uh, I'd probably be, oh, I don't know, uh, 50 feet above sea level. So, uh, okay. yeah, not too high up. But, uh, yeah, I know, I know the, the center of the continent here is just a big brick of ice. That's right. <laughs> here's, a, here's a picture, I guess, uh, taken from a drone or something, I guess, of your, your little town, your city right there. Yep. It kind of looks, like yep. Ka- it, it looks like where Katie lives. She lives in Wyoming. <laughs> looks very much like that. That's yeah. a... Um, that's a fairly old photo because I can see a lot of buildings that aren't there. That aren't there now? But, yeah, um, yeah. Here's a, uh, hey, yeah, here's, like a you, uh, here's a video. Let's see. Wait a minute. Here's a video of day uh, of two days. Let's see what it looks like. I think this is uh, 48 hours. Let's see what this looks like. I saw some lights coming on and going off. Uh, let's see. <laughs> well, I don't know all the lights. Okay. Oh, hey, it's daylight. Look at there. You got some daylight. Got a few clouds coming in. The wind is blowing. Oh, it's changing direction. And it's night again. Wow, man. Yep. So uh, that's uh that's that's interesting. Yeah, it's uh it'll soon be dark here full time. Uh it's the days are getting shorter by about eleven or twelve minutes a day now. Uh-huh. Uh and so sort of around mid middle of June will be uh dark all day long. And we have that for about a month of no sunlight. Yeah. Hey, I pulled this picture. I pulled this picture. Uh, this is an interesting picture. Now, this is not, I think this is a, a site uh, located some distance from you. <laughs> you you have better facilities than this, right? I mean, you, you do have indoor plumbing, right? Yeah, we do. Okay. On, on some of the buildings. A lot of them don't. Oh, really? Okay. Well, that's, uh, uh, I'm glad to hear that, man. Uh, let's see. <laughs> That would, could be a very I, cold read of your CQ magazine. Whoever whoever <laughs> built that did not finish the building. They did not finish it. Look at that. So, Paul, I have a question. You know, up here, you know, and a lot of people say in the U.S., in the wintertime, which could last, like where we are in Wyoming, could last a good, you know, <laughs> five months. And people will get, like, seasonal affective disorder and get depressed because we don't see much of the sun but you know i think about it now it's like even if it's cloudy we're still getting some light versus what you're experiencing down there when you like don't have any for a full month what do you how does that affect everyone down there do you have like some of those uv lamps to give you some fake sunlight or um is it is it just something that you've gotten used to now that you're on your third time down there it just it seems like such a um such a drastic change to what we as you know humans are used to that it it must be something special you have to almost prepare yourself mentally for yeah definitely um when it starts to get like pretty much from now on we we've got what eight hours of sunlight today uh, and it's really it's starting to get short now um it starts to bring you you sort of you you mood down a bit you get tired uh, it, it's amazing. Like people always told me before I came down, oh, you'll you'll be really depressed and you get really tired. And I'm not the kind of person who ever gets depressed. So uh, when it started to happen, it was quite amazing that 
the depression really didn't get bad for me. It was just sort of like some days you don't want to go to work. Uh, right. But you get home from work at 4.30 in the afternoon and you want to go to bed, like you're ready to sleep and it really messes with your body clock. Right. So it's it's not fun, but it's just part of what the uh, part of what we live with here. So you put up with it, right? So it's only, but it's really just a month that's uh, is the worst of the time period without the sunlight. So is oh, it like I'd black? Say three months. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. Hey, Paul. Yeah, so yeah, there's there's a month of never seeing the sun, and then there's a month of seeing a couple of minutes of the sun. <laughs> oh wow! You might the first day you get the sunrise and it'll just break the horizon for one minute, and so, the next day it'll just break the horizon for eleven minutes. So Paul, so, uh, it's wow. uh, you know we know it's cold down there, but it's not totally cold because I have a friend here, uh, Mark uh, Brown, in the chat room. He's from Huntsville, Alabama, where they have the great Huntsville, Alabama Ham Fest. But the point I'm going to make is that. Uh, last year, I read where Casey Station had the very same temperature as Huntsville, Alabama did, and they set a record of like 69 degrees. It got 69 nice. degrees there. Have you ever felt it get that warm? No, I haven't. Uh, the hottest it's ever got with me was 5 degrees Celsius, which would have been just under 20 Fahrenheit. Yeah. Um, I know they did have a day that was ridiculous, but... Uh, yeah, rarely it, it rarely gets above five degrees Celsius in the summertime. Yeah. Well, I don't think it happens very often, but I, I was a uh, um, it was amazing to see sixty nine degrees in Antarctica. So, you know, I yeah. guess there is some warming down warming. there a little bit. You know. All right. Let's see. Yeah. We just had uh, we just had uh, another uh, co host join us, Bill Brown, from now there now uh, he's also near Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, let's see. I had some questions here. Hey, Tom, I, yes. uh, you, you caught my attention with Huntsville, Alabama. So uh, I have a question for Paul. Um, I've been working, uh, listening and watching uh, DP0POL in the uh, Newmeyer station. Uh, they have a, a whisper presence on 20 meters and several other bands, actually. And I often can copy them here in uh, the United States, and uh, they've been instrumental in the uh, round-the-world balloons we've been doing, particularly the ones that are launched from Australia and also Argentina. Uh, sometimes their station picks up that balloon uh, that nobody else can because there's few and far between uh, uh, ground stations on Whisper. I just wondered if you ever... Um, played with the whisper mode there at your station and uh maybe you can uh, try and put that up on the air and help these uh, balloons that go around the southern hemisphere yeah yeah that's uh bill that's something i've been planning on doing uh putting a whisper beacon up to run on uh on probably the higher bands I, i'm gonna have to run two separate antenna systems to do it and uh i'd say that i'll probably run a whisper beacon for sure on 15 12, 10, and 6 metres. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to run one on the lower bands. I, I probably, it's a possibility. Uh, it just means I need more gear out there to uh, to do it. I have played with Whisper in the past. Um, I just haven't got it set up here yet. So it is is in the planning stages at the moment. And I'm really interested to uh, see, like, use Whisper for when the, uh, the higher bands open. Uh, I really want to try and get a 10 metre and a 6 metre contact from here. So 
Uh, I will have it running. Uh, I'm just not sure how long away it's going to be. So hopefully not too far off and I'll, I'll have Whisper up and running here. All right. Well, so, uh, Paul, are you familiar with the Pico balloons that some people are flying? And we've been flying one now for about a year, a year and a half. It's little small balloons that we send around the world and track uh, with Whisper. Are you familiar with those? No, I've never heard of them before, Tom. I, yeah, I know okay. people do. Well, um, uh, if you join our Facebook group, you, there's a lot of reading on it. And Bill is instrumental in getting us started in this about two years ago. And these are little small balloons that we launch with a little tracker, a little whisper tracker on them, and they can actually go around the world. In fact, uh, our best flight has been three and a half times around the world, uh, and then it crashed. Wow. We've crashed a lot of them, by the way. But, hey, here's my question. Okay, I have a secret. Nobody's listening, Dan, all right? You don't have any boss or anybody in the room listening, do you? No. Okay. No. Do you have down there, do you have any hydrogen or do you have any helium? at your disposal i wouldn't say at my disposal but we do have it we, we've okay. got a uh a weather station here where they launch balloons ah, every okay, day so, okay. Yeah, Are you, okay you need to get buddies get friends with them what we need to do our show <laughs> needs to put together one of these pico balloons with the tracker and send it down to you and you put the right amount of helium in it and launch it for us and i'd like to see how it so all of our balloons are above the equator. They fly in the northern hemisphere. Uh, I, I think it would be interesting to watch one fly launched down in Antarctica. It, it might just be a slow circle down there. I don't know. Yeah, sure, sure I could try, probably work something out with them. All right, all right. Now, so is, are there any customs issues for me to send something to you? I wonder, how will that work? Do I have to send it to Australia? Yeah, you'll, you'll have to send it to the Australian Antarctic Division and that'll get passed on to me. So uh, okay. I probably wouldn't see anything until November. Yeah, okay. I'm going to work on that. We're going to work on getting a show balloon down to you and let you launch it down here. This will be a cool, a cool project for us. All right. Yes, well, very good. good. All right. There's our next launch, Bill. Yeah, there's a question in the chat room here. Uh, Paul, where do most of your contacts come from? And they're kind of just curious about the propagation for you down there. Yeah, uh, Glenn, I uh, I get a lot of contacts from Australia, obviously, because that's, that's the closest, Australia and New Zealand. Uh, Japan's probably my next biggest hotspot. But I have done contacts into the States, into California, uh, Utah, Texas, uh, and even to Alaska. I've made two contacts into Alaska, so... Uh, that's all on 20 meters and it, it does get through. Uh, but for whatever reason, I don't hear the states nearly as much as I hear everyone else. Are you running uh, typically, what modes are you typically running? Are you, uh, you primarily a single sideband phone? Are you doing ECW? And uh, what are the uh, specific portion of the band? I know when KC4 AAA was active, they were always around you know, 14, 243. That's where you just looked for them all the time. So I'm wondering if there's a particular yeah. spot that you hang out. Uh, I, oh, sorry, I've got a million phones ringing here. Go away. <laughs> um, yeah, I usually operate on 20 meters single sideband. Uh, that's my major band uh, at around 14, 245. Okay. Uh, so that's where I spend most of my time. I, I have had a bit of luck lately on 17 meters. I've never worked that band before, but I've got well into Japan with that in Australia. So, uh, but yeah, 20 meters is, is the go-to band for me. Okay, cool. 
keep an ear out for you. So, uh, uh, Paul, when you put your antenna up, uh, how high do you get it above the snow? Can you, are you 30 feet up or 20 feet? or? Yeah, about 30 feet, Tom. That's, yeah. that's about as high as I can really safely get it. I think it would depend on the day of the week and how much snow was last yeah. night. One day, it's, one day it's 30 feet above the snow, and the next day it's only 20 feet above the snow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I've heard the snow doesn't really affect the antenna too much, and yeah. I haven't seen any effects from it yet. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see, I was looking at some more pictures here. Uh, I would hey, actually what is, uh, think. What, what is this, uh, Paul? You uh, you sent me this these pictures. I'm not sure. What is, I think you sent me this one. What is this? Did oh, that that's the start of my fan dipole build down here. So. Uh, just making it out of bits of old cutting board and some copper strip, and, oh, okay. and uh, that's just got a. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, I a, see the connector. I see the connector now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, it, to me, it looked like a uh, uh, an old TV transformer. Kind of, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Down here, you uh, work with whatever you can get your hands yeah, on. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's probably <laughs> not much stuff. To me. There's probably not much stuff you can get your hands on down here. What are we looking at here? So that's uh, that's me building the fan dipole about two weeks ago. So I've oh, uh, yeah. clamped that uh, center section up, and then I've run all the wires out from there and to and cable oh, to yeah, them onto yeah. some little bits of timber down. I see the fan dipole now, and yeah. I see the uh, PVC pipe that you're using for a spreader. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, so you, you work with whatever you can get your hands on. Well, you know, you would think about it with, the, with all that ice, which is just basically water, You'd get a pretty nice ground plane out of all of that. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know about freshwater ice. I, I know the saltwater ice would be a really good ground plane, but yeah, I've I've heard you can just lay wires on on the uh, glacier and run a, a wire yagi on the ground. So I don't know how much effect ice has on it. Yeah. What are we looking at here, Paul? We got two different pictures that look similar. <clears throat> Sorry, you're starting to drop out a bit, Tom, but yeah, um, you, uh, that's a, a view out of my front door. And oh. uh, that's when I say I, I, I can't guarantee skeds. Uh, that's why, because it's, that's blowing 80 knots there and uh, you can't see five metres. Oh, okay. So that's your front door. And that's what your front door looks like with the snow and uh, a blizzard. 80, 80 knots of wind. Oh, okay. All right. You still there, Tom? I, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Uh, I guess we're having some connection problems. Yeah. Are you hearing me okay now? Are you? Are you I here? can only hear bits. That Everyone's gone on their uh, morning tea break, so the internet's yeah. probably getting hit pretty hard right now. But, uh, yeah, if, if you look out past these stairs, there's a flagpole. So you'll have another photo uh, of the next day. And it's amazing how quickly the weather turns here. So, uh, mm. yeah, quite often I'll advertise a sked and go to go and uh, operate and I won't be able to go outside. So it's, it's pretty crazy weather. Now, can you, uh, are you allowed to um, go out and explore? I mean, can you go, can you go walking? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you, you're not allowed to go alone. You have to have someone with you and we have to carry uh, a big bag of uh, like survival equipment. But uh, we are, yeah. there's, there's big areas here where we're allowed to go out and, 
and walk around and explore. And there's uh, so, other, like, we've got little huts in the so remote you, areas as well to go to. You carry someone with you so you both can get lost. Is that right? I mean, how well does a compass work down there? Uh, it works fine, but the, the magnetic variation here is huge. Um, yeah. Back home, magnetic variation from a map is like five degrees, and down here it's 103. Woo, that's way off, isn't it? Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. Well, guys, what else we got for uh, for Paul here? This is very interesting tonight. Yeah, Paul, I know that uh, you mentioned, you know, kind of your expertise as an uh, electrician and instrument engineer. But what, what's your what's your day to day job? What do you what do you do down there? What's what do they, what do they pay you to do? <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, Alan. Um, so I'm a I'm employed here as a trade supervisor. Mm-hmm. So I'm in charge of all the trades, the plumbers, uh, the carpenters, and the electricians. Uh, so a small portion of my job is is running those guys. Uh, and most of the time I do all the uh, the maintenance and all the fault finding. So uh, we have maintenance by law. We have to do like testing fire systems and uh, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and as well as that, if anything breaks, um, I've got the job to go and fix it. So uh, it's quite a harsh environment to work. Quite often you'll have to work outside and wearing the thick gloves, you can't do your job. So uh, you'll take your gloves off and you've got a couple of seconds of uh, dexterity. And then your fingers don't work anymore, so you've got to put your gloves back on, try and warm your hands back up, and uh, and repeat. And a job that takes ten minutes back home can take three hours here. Uh, it's, I guess it's just yeah. in, in keeping the elements from getting a hold. I, I kind of kind of reminds me of the moving The Shining. You know, you, you got to spend the winter, you know, keeping the place from from nature from taking it over, so that it's ready for the summertime when the crowds come. Right. Okay. Hey, we have yeah, a news. Yeah, yeah we, have, I, I do. we have a news flash. I think Paul is hiding this from us, but we've just been informed that KC Station has a brewery. <laughs> Do you guys have a brewery? Yeah, is, we, that a, uh, is that a secret? Yeah. No, there's no secret about it. That's that's all our stations. We have our uh, breweries, and it's just home-brewed beer. Um, so the guys get down there, and they uh, brew a couple of... Uh, Hundred bottles up every month, and and that's just free for everyone's station to uh, to go and drink whenever they like. Oh, wow. so it's not bad. I, I I don't drink, so it doesn't affect me. But yeah, uh, yeah. it is there for the others. Oh wow! Well, here's another one from the chat room. Uh, how well does GPS work down there? Uh, the the GPS seems to work fine. I've never had any issues with it, but. Uh, I mean, we don't use it very often. Maybe once a week when when we go out into the field. So day to day, it might uh, might not be great. But uh, I've never had an issue with the GPS down here. Hey, do you ever have any thunderstorms? You know, like lightning, thunder. No, no. The never only had... kind of storm we get is like a blizzard. Yeah. Uh, we don't yeah. get rain. We don't get thunder. We don't get lightning. Nothing. Do you have? I I just thought of something, and it's. I don't know. It's kind of silly, but do you have like a traditional 40 hour work week or because of the logistics of where you are, is it like a traditional work environment where people are working shifts or is it, how does that actually work down there? So we, uh, very station to station on how people work as well, but, um, we usually do about a 42 and a half hour work week. 
Uh, so we do 7.30 in the morning to 4.30 in the afternoon, five days a week. Uh, and we've also got on-call rosters as well. So um, I'm a, a fire chief down here, so I'm in charge of the fire team one week in every three. And uh, so you're on call for that if any fires happen. And also as an electrician on call, uh, we've got pages here. If we've got, Everything's automated pretty much. So if we get a fault somewhere, uh, we'll get a message on the phone to say, oh, something's failed and you've got to be out the door quickly and, and go and sort that out before uh, before things go bad. So, um, yeah, it, it's not a bad uh, bad place to work. It's it's not huge hours, but uh, if you have problems, that can change and it can become huge hours. So it's uh, you do your best to make sure everything's working in tip-top condition every day. All right. Do you have uh, HBO and Cinemax? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no TV down here at all. Oh man! Huh. Uh, the in- the internet's been upgraded this year, uh, so we can get like Netflix and that sort of stuff. But uh, pretty much, if one person's watching it, no one else can use the internet. So uh, we try terrible. to avoid that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's yeah. not great. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Uh, Red's asking, do you get a lot of aurora borealis down there? Uh, not really. Um, where we are here, we get a, an awful lot of cloud cover. So uh, 99% of the time when we've got an aurora happening, we don't see it. Okay. But, uh, last time when I was at Davis Station, which is a, probably, I don't know, a thousand k's from here, um, we got regular auroras. So, uh, And I think down here it's the aurora australis, not, I think borealis oh. is the northern hemisphere. Right, so, that's uh, right. Yeah, yeah. But, we do get some pretty awesome ones from time to time. It's just not very common here. Right. Neat. So, okay. Someone just asked in the chat room, saw a picture of an ATM receipt from Antarctica. <laughs> do you have an, do you have an ATM <laughs> there? He says <laughs> that had to be a Photoshop. No. <laughs> well, I think, I think at McMurdo that they do because McMurdo, um, the American base uh, down on the Ross ice shelf, they've, They've apparently got everything, so um, oh, I'm, oh, I think okay. they do have an ATM there. But uh, we're such a small station. Like right. McMurdo has 1,100 people in summertime, oh, so wow. they're like 11 times bigger. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we don't have money down here. You don't use money. Everything's free. Right. Um, <laughs> Everything's so, uh, free. Yeah, no money. You, you don't need money. I, that's that's fun. Oh, man. Well, what do you, it, it's, it's not, not like there's a bunch of home. stores down there. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah. Plus, what you can't yeah, order because nobody could deliver it. <laughs> That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's a very good savings plan. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> wow. I guess even with with you know being you know nine nine months or whatever where you're really kind of cut off. I mean that you know in terms of like your store of food is everything just kind of prepared frozen that uh, or or I mean how how does that work to feed the twenty seven people or so that are there for for months without getting uh, you know any supplies in. Yeah, that's a, a good question. We've got our own chef down here. Um, so everything, we get our last delivery on the last ship of the season, which usually comes in February. Um, and everything comes in on that and then it gets frozen and that's it. That's what we live off for the next nine months. So no more deliveries, no fresh food. Once the fruit runs out, it's gone. Um, yeah, it's it can be hard, but the, the chef does a really good job with what they've got. Things get a little thin around October. <laughs> Uh, it, it depends how well they've planned it not usually okay <laughs> you know I, it kind of reminds me of the, one of the three stooges or, or the little rascals where you know they don't have any food and they take a, the tongue out of a shoe or something 
you know, the leather tongue and they, they make soup out of it or something. They Man. run out of popcorn in July and then I'm just lost. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, hey, hey, Paul, this is a this this has been very interesting, man. We need to we need to sign you up for the show here and have you on here every every you know couple months and and you bring us some kind of Antarctic project or something, you know, maybe uh, uh, you know you make some contacts or something or or you do something. Uh, I can do that. Well, we'd sure. love to have you on here uh, uh, again soon, and and let's do some things like that, you know. And uh, Paul, good. if uh, if you have uh, access to uh, a, a tiny amount of helium or hydrogen, uh, we can send you a payload during your summertime, which I believe the first you can get supplies is in November, because then it's yep. solar powered and it would operate, uh, you know, 24 hours a day as it flies around uh, Antarctica. So uh, that would be a really I'm sure I can make that project. happen. Yeah. yeah. So make yeah. buddies, make buddies with your helium gathering. We're gonna, we'll try to do something like that this year. And, and it would be a good uh, talk to the meteorologist there, and that would be good, a uh, good meteorology study because they can track the position of the balloon as it uh, travels around uh, Antarctica. And I, I really hope to that you get on 10 meter and 15 meter Whisper because I do get on those bands on Whisper and. It'd be awesome to uh, pick up Australia. I mean, um, you're uh, stationed down there in Antarctica on uh, 10 meter whisper, and the band's going to open up soon. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's looking good. So um, yeah, I'll get on there and, and get it sorted. Hopefully, uh, yeah, we can make contact sometime too. Hey, hey, Paul. I know, uh, I know, you're taking time off from work uh, for this. So we don't want to, you know, impose too much here. You're, you're welcome to stay with us. But you also mentioned to me, I think yesterday when we talked, that you were going to take an hour off of work or something, and then you could probably, you know, yeah, do an yeah. hour. So uh, yeah, I can do another five or ten, five or ten minutes, and, and okay. have to get going. All right. Well, very good. And uh, hey, please join that Facebook group. I want to stay in contact with you, and I'm really, I'm really uh, serious about. Let's do something for the show, some type project from Antarctica uh, for everybody out here. And uh, they can follow it on the show and follow it on the Facebook group. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't know what it would be, you know, from balloon launch to maybe just making some contacts or something. I don't know. Anybody, yeah, anybody got any ideas? I'd be happy to. Okay. Um, anybody else have anything for Paul before we – let's well, see if there's any other questions. Just a comment saying uh, to, to fr uh, food gets frozen means you just set it outside. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. imagine you're probably a little more controlled than that. <laughs> yeah, you definitely can't set it outside. It destroys it. It gets that cold. Oh, wow. <laughs> our, some of our freezers actually warm it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So they're okay. asking about your time zone. You're 13 hours ahead of Chicago. So um, right now. Yeah, U UTC plus eight. Yeah. Well, what's the UTC, what's the UTC time right now? Uh uh, uh, it'll be two eleven UTC. Yeah, it's going to be about. Yeah, that's right. That's, UTC that's right. plus that, that, eight. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, our show is on UTC, so that's that's right. But thirteen hours away, I, I figured out thirteen hours ahead of Chicago, so you're almost exactly yeah. half a day opposite of us. Right now, it's nine thirteen here, so nine thirteen at night. So you'd be at ten thirteen in the morning there, I think. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Ten thirteen in the morning. Okay. 
All right. Uh, okay, yeah, guys. 12 hours from us here on the East Coast, so exactly half a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hey, man, we really appreciate you coming on with us tonight. I'm so glad we hooked up with you, and um, we're going to stay in contact with you. And we're gonna we're gonna have fun this year. Get you on the show, and we're gonna. If you got any ideas about what we can do, uh, Paul, let me know. And also, gang, Katie, Alan, Glenn, everybody, if you got any thoughts about what we can do, Bill, just uh, bring them up. All right, guys. Hey, thank you so much again. I'm gonna let you get back thank to you, work. Thank you, Paul. What was that? What was that, Katie? Oh, I was just saying thank you again. It was this was a lot of fun tonight. Yeah, yeah. thank you. That was. That's really cool. Yeah. In more ways than one. Yeah. I've got one idea. That, uh, Thanks for having me on the show. It's been a good time. We could send him a, a whisper beacon, a low-power whisker beacon that he can put on the air when he's not in the shower. We could do that. Yeah. We could do that. And uh, if he can get an antenna up, sure. We'll try to do that. Well, yeah. It's been awesome to be on the show, and um, could we yeah, have? Well, me let me let me ask you a question. Let, let me. Could we have a? Yep. Could we have a W five KUB slash VK beacon? Uh, can we do that? I guess we could while I'm here. I don't know how to go once I leave. <laughs> uh, I don't know. But, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure we could do it. I don't know. Okay. Hey, we're gonna do something with you. Hey, man, thanks so much. I really enjoyed it. You're welcome to stick around with us uh, as long as you want to. Um, uh, or, or leave us. Makes doesn't make a difference, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I might uh, might take this opportunity to get going um, before the boys notice I'm not at work. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Well, thanks, thanks, man. Thank we enjoyed it. Very interesting. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. All right, right. Yeah, everybody. That was that was Paul Bye. Paul Daniels VK Zero PD. He was at KC Station Antarctica. So that was a that was a fun. Uh, uh, segment we had with him tonight, and it's opening up doors for the show. It's opening up doors to maybe launch a Pico balloon from Antarctica. Maybe put a whisper beacon in Antarctica. Maybe uh, set some schedules up from Antarctica. So uh, it's going to open the door. What was that? It's going to be that, interesting Al? to see how the wind patterns at that latitude work the balloon around. Yeah. Yeah, and we can look at that right now on Ventusky or Wendy and, and see that. Um, okay, well, very good. All right, Alan, you want to you want to talk about Morse code? I think tonight, right? Yeah, I just thought we'd uh, you know I know we we did a segment uh, a couple of months ago just on on CW and operation and, and did a little bit of the mechanics of CW, but uh, given today is uh, Morse code day because it's Samuel Samuel Morse's uh, birthday. I just thought we, you know, maybe we could chat a little bit about uh, maybe some Morse code trivia or something like that. Um, but, but yeah, what a, what an interesting segment with Paul, though. Like I said, I, one of my more most interesting contacts was with that uh, Edmondson Scott uh, station, but that was in 1999, so that was twenty uh, something years ago. But um, anyway, I, I just thought we'd uh, chat a little bit about uh, Morse code, some interesting trivia. Um, you know, obviously, everybody knows Samuel Morris as being the inventor of it, but he had a partner uh, in doing uh, doing the work with Morse code. Um, let's see, his partner was his name was uh, Alfred Vale, and both actually working in Morristown, New Jersey, at the Speedwell Ironworks uh, in the in about the 1840s. Uh, it's kind of when things uh, kind of got developed there. 
But what's even more interesting, maybe that a lot of people don't know, is that uh, you know the Morse code that he developed was actually developed and called American Morse, but it's not what we use on the air. Uh, we actually use International Morse, which was actually developed by someone else. Uh, it's basically based on, on Morse code, and a lot of the characters are the same, but not all of them. But the International Morse code was developed by Friedrich Clemens Gerke. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it. Uh, he was based in Germany. And then that, that went through a couple of modifications and was finally kind of finalized as the ITU International Morse Code in 1865. And that's that's what we use today is on, on the air is International Morse Code. But uh, looking at, uh, if you look at some of the wiki pages and things like that for, for Morse, uh, the interesting thing about American Morse is that, you know, some of the characters were actually made up of patterns that include very different spacing and different lengths of dits and dahs. It wasn't just, you know, just a dit and a da. There was a couple different lengths of things. And then it was also some letters that had like, like three dits, a space and another dit. It was, it was a letter, you know, so it was very different than, uh, than the international Morse code where every letter is, they're kind of a, a code group, if you will. So, uh, some pretty interesting stuff there. Um, you know, some interesting things that I just looking up, I just thought it'd be uh, fun to talk about. Um, like even like, you know the letters SOS. You know for uh, you know an international distress call. You know a lot of people think it, it actually is an acronym, like for save our souls or save our ships. But the reality is, it's just it's just a pattern that's recognizable. It doesn't really stand for anything. So I thought that was interesting. I always thought it was save our souls, is what I remember hearing, but it actually isn't. Um, it's also a little- I always thought it's save. For- I always thought it was something like that too. Like or save our ship, I think, was yeah. something you always think of. So I didn't realize it was just because of the pattern. Yeah, and I, I wasn't sure. I mean, I, that's what I thought it was, too. But I, I'm just doing a little bit of research here online with, uh, you know, and many, many kind of sites confirm the fact that it was really, it, it's just a, a pattern that's easily recognizable. Uh, and was, you know, because, you know, the previous uh, distress call was CQD. Yeah, right? I was going to say that, yeah. So, uh, but that, you know, then it, I guess, uh, because SOS was just recognizable and easy anybody could remember what it was uh they just kind of switched to that so but um yeah so it was actually interesting uh, tie-in to thomas edison uh he suffered from deafness and he taught his fiance mary sitwell to to learn morse code and they actually communicated with each other that way as he lost his hearing so it was kind of interesting um another one uh, i didn't realize this either that johnny cash was actually a code breaker in germany uh when he was in uh when he was in the air force so that was kind of interesting, uh, interesting fact there. Uh, oh, this this one was really cool. The Colombian Army once made a song with Morse code in it and aired it on a rebel controlled ter- in a re- rebel controlled territory to lift the morale of hostages that were held there. The message read: "19 rescued, near next, don't lose hope." But it was kind of buried in the chorus of this song. So the the people who ran the the radio station didn't know they're actually sending a message to the prisoners there so that was kind of interesting so um but uh, lots of interesting uh, interesting trivia and facts there um i'm sure i could find some more but i just thought you know i'd bring some of that up and um and then we you know maybe even talk a little, we talked a little bit about uh, a couple months ago when we did this about different you know the just the mechanics of of sending morse code and we talked a bit about using a straight key and using uh, a set of paddles with a keyer, but we didn't really talk about uh, like a, what's called a side swiper or a cootie key uh, or a bug 
or um, and things like that. So if you want, if there was any questions about that, I thought we could kind of talk a little bit about that too. But anyway, I just want to you know, maybe chat a little bit about uh, Morse code because I just thought it was uh, an interesting day. And it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I learned, you know, Morse code originally about 40 years ago, the wrong way, right? I learned it by memorizing the dits and dahs, and it's so hard to <laughs> break that. And uh, so I've been uh, working pretty hard to try to retrain my brain. So, um, but uh, it's just, you know, to me, I, I find I'm used doing more, more more CW now than other ever. And actually just posted a short um, video on my, my uh, YouTube page earlier this evening, just a quick little happy, more, happy uh, Morse code day message uh, being tapped out on my new uh, QCX plus kit that I just finished building a few weeks ago. But um, anyway, uh, I'll just check the chat here to see if anybody else put some more um, uh, interesting information in. I see, I see uh, you know, some people confirming the Johnny Cash stuff here, uh, intercepting some Russian CW traffic and the original uh, distress call being CQD. It's funny because I think, uh, well, obviously in the... Um, in the movie Titanic, they actually properly, uh, you know, the, the captain properly instructs the uh, the uh, more the, the uh, wireless uh, operators to send a, C a CQD call, not SOS. But um, let's see, you got a question here from David. Can I explain some of the shorthand that's used in, in CW QSOs? And uh, yeah, there's actually quite a few. Um, and I'm not sure the origin of them all. But, uh, but there's a lot of just two-letter abbreviations for things, like ES for the word and. It's just a fast thing to send. I'm not sure exactly the origin of that. Uh, you'll, hear, you'll hear GA or GE or GN for good, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, you know, that type of thing. Um, you'll hear DE. Uh, and that could be a DE could, could stand for either this is or from. So usually prior to sending your call sign, you'd say you send a DE, and that's kind of like saying this is W2AEW, for example. And again, a lot, I don't know where a lot of the, these these two-letter things came from, whether they're, you know, come from a different language or just come from, uh, you know, maybe some abbreviations that were used in the original telegraph uh, you know, operation, things like that. I don't know enough of the history of that, but it's, you know, that that's, that part of it too. Once you learn Morse code and you start listening, it's like and you start writing. Did I copy that right? What does that mean? You know, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, you say and you, you're here sometimes now. And something that's interesting that I didn't realize because I I was into CW a while, you know about ten years ago. And I didn't get back into it again just until a couple of years ago. And what I hear a lot more now than I didn't I didn't hear then is uh, a, a quick way of turning uh, you know the conversation back over to the other station was to send the letters BK. And they just, you know, da, da 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 BK. And then the other guy would send BK and start start talking. I'm like, you know, because BK would be short for back. Because I was used to always sending like a BTU, like back to you. And then back to you. And then you'd send, you know, their call and your call. But just a, a BK or a real quick way of turning it back over. So it seems like that's something that's become popular over the last decade or so that wasn't popular 10 or 20 years ago. So, uh, so I think it's probably always evolving a little bit. So, uh, but um, Charlie's asking uh, the QCX transceiver. Um, unfortunately, Charlie, I didn't do any videos when I was building the QCX because um, I mean, soldering videos aren't that interesting. And I had done some videos on winding toroids before, which was really the only other really interesting piece of uh, of building the QCX. I will say that if you are going to, if you're interested in building a kit, 
um, the, the kits from uh, QRP Labs, like the QCX Plus that I have or the QCX Mini that's out there, plus any others that he has, probably the best documented kits in terms of assembly manuals that you'll find anywhere. And I'm including Heathkit and Elecraft in that list because they're really extremely well done. Um, and just amazing early value too. that QCX kit. If you don't get the enclosure that I have mine in, it's a $55 five watt CW transceiver. So then it, then you as you saw in the video, if you watched it, it actually got a Morse code decoder in it. It's got a built in keyer. Um, you know, it's really quite an interesting thing. And even, even with the, the, the custom aluminum case that I got with it, it was still just a little over a hundred dollars. So, um, uh, really kind of interesting. But um, and and I, and I guess another thing we could chat about too is the fact that CW running at five watts is literally as efficient as running a hundred watts on single sideband. You got to figure you're op, op, you know you're you're using thirty you know thirty times less bandwidth, so you can live with thirty times less power to get the same signal to noise ratio. So you know uh, uh, if you you know, a, a QRP CW station can be very, very effective um, and uh, surprisingly effective. I mean, when I first put the kit together, I you know put it up on the antenna and called CQ a couple of times, and uh, and I checked the reverse beacon network, and I was being heard in Washington State and in Vancouver. You know, that's clear across the country from here on, literally about two and a half to three watts. So it's uh, it really it really is pretty amazing and, and kind of a lot of fun. So I'm glad I got this done uh, before uh, heading out on vacation. Uh, we're taking a short vacation the end of May. I'm going to bring uh, this rig with me, and then again I'll take another vacation um, in, in August, and I'll bring this rig with me then as well. You so, know, Alan, uh, when uh, when when I was uh, studying <clears throat> studying it for, it, as a novice and learning uh, code, I had friends, you know that we would just walk around and we would talk to each other in code did you ever do that you know you look kind of funny you know no i mean i mean how did, how did, did you do just do da 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 yeah we just went yeah you know da 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 did it did it you know to each other and they we would you know yeah i guess we would know what the other one said you know i mean it probably looked very strange you know back in the early 60s but uh yeah, well, when I was growing, well, I didn't, I didn't get my license until I was in high school, and wow. um, and I just got my novice, and like I said, I learned learned Morse code at five words a minute the wrong way, and uh, so unfortunately, I you know didn't didn't really exercise it that way, but uh, but I'll, if I'm driving along in the car, sometimes I'll just spell out license plate numbers and things like that in my head, yeah. you know, just to, to kind of keep to keep the patterns going, yeah. but uh, but at least no one hears me. You know, another, another thing about CW, and it was mentioned by Bruce in the chat room, I think, <clears throat> during the Viet- Vietnam War, uh, an American prisoner of war, uh, actually sent a Morse code message back to the, to the states. The, the, Vietnam, the North Vietnamese put these guys on um, display on TV. They had the whole group there and put them on display. And the... Uh, the American actually, with his eyelids, sent Morse code, uh, the word torture. Yeah. And this, I guess it was the CIA or whoever uh, on this end, when they saw the video, uh, they picked up on that and, uh, you know, actually read the word torture. So 
Uh, they knew what was going on there. So, you know, I, I, if you look at somebody, I, I guess if your job is a military and you're looking for things like that, CIA and whatever, uh, maybe you would notice that. But uh, just looking at somebody blink their eyes, you might not notice any Morse code. Yeah, right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I had a couple people ask here in the uh, the chat here, um, what frequency and speed do I send on vacation, uh, Horace? So I I will typically operate on either twenty or forty meters, um, and if I'm on CW, I'm usually somewhere between like uh, maybe like seven point oh three and seven point oh six, and similarly on 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 uh, I'll be a fourteen oh three to fourteen oh six. Typically is where you'll find me uh, if I'm operating CW. Uh, if I'm operating on phone, it's usually the lower portions of 40 meter, the 40 meter band if I'm on phone. So, um, but we'll see, you know, like I said, at the, the last week of May, I'll be out. And then uh, the middle two weeks of, uh, of August, I will be out as well. Now, uh, when I first learned Morse code, um, I learned it at five words a minute and I got it up a little higher than that. But my uh, uncle, my great uncle and his friend in Florida, they would have a daily sked, and I was sick for several days and home from school. So I listened to them every morning, and they were transmitting along, and they were going at a pretty good clip. My uncle would go about 20 words a minute, but the other guy would go at 33 words a minute. So I just listened to it, and I would write down whatever letters I would pick up. And at first, it was just a few few letters out of that because I was still so slow in the code. But after doing that for several days, I started to copy everything that my uncle was sending at 20 words a minute. But I still couldn't pick up the guys going 33 words a minute. It sounded like a cricket chirping. No. So uh, no. uh, finally, I finally, after several more days, and I was just getting well and... I finally understood everything he said at 33 words a minute. So I just spent all day listening to all kinds of people all day long on Morse code. And uh, um, and so I got on the air and I sent to my uncle and his friend and I sent it at 33 words a minute to this other guy who he wouldn't slow down for anybody. <laughs> and he said, QRS, he said, because he couldn't. He couldn't copy me at 33 words a minute. He could dish it out, but he couldn't take it. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's funny. I, I remember you mentioned that uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Bill, and I. So I, I took that to heart because I because normally I dial around and and find somebody who that I could hear and I like somewhere somewhere between you know, 12 and 15 words a minute, so I can copy everything and be fine. But I, I took what you said to heart a couple of weeks ago, and I started listening to you know, some guys at 20, 25, 30 words a minute and doing with just what you said, only listen, only you know, picking up the letters I could hear. Um, and also, I've got one of these little Wolfwave audio processors that does CWD code, and, I'll, and I'd, I'd be kind of writing things down, and I'd glance up at that to see if I got things right because it was doing the decode <clears> on me. <throat> and what I found is that even though I was listening to somebody at 25 words a minute, if I went back to somebody at 20 or, or 15, that I couldn't really copy before, just that little five or ten minute exercise of listening to it fast, it made the other stuff really click. So I think you're right. I think pushing yourself and just hearing that and just getting building those pathways is really just what it takes. And it's just it, like I said, it's just practice. So I just need to keep working at it. You know, one of the things. And, that and after a while, um, 
I actually now hear words. Mm-hmm. I don't hear okay. the individual letters. I actually hear the words in my mind. Yeah, and I think I, I think one of the best words. ways to learn to code. Is, well, I, I did it this way, um, and and I'm like you, Bill. Right now, I can actually hear words. You know, and and you also knowing what they're saying, you can kind of expect what the words are going to be a lot of times, but. Um, in learning it and getting my speed up, I recorded, and it was probably cassette tape back then, or it may have been a little bitty real real, but I recorded uh, five-letter uh, random groups of letters and numbers. Uh, you know, five letters, five letters, five letters, five letters. And I'd, I'd record maybe about, you know, a couple hundred of those. And the thing is, you can never memorize that. Uh, but you could sit down and turn that tape on, and you could copy those letters, and then you could go back and see which ones you're missing. And uh, again, you can't, you couldn't memorize it, but uh, you know it's easier when you when a person sends a word. If he says th, probably the next letter is going to be the. But on random characters, it's not going to be like that. And in uh, that way, if you do random characters. You can actually go through and grade yourself, and, and you may say, there's, there's five letters I'm missing all the time, you know, J, K, you know, X, Z, whatever, and just practice those five letters, so it, it's yeah. uh, real easy to get your speed up. Yeah, the, the ones I have problems with are the ones with uh, a lot of repeating dits. Uh, so, uh-huh. like, okay, was that an S or an H, or was that an H or a 5? Right? Yeah. Was that a V or a four? Or was that a, a B or a six? You know, so those those are the ones that I typically will have more trouble with. And sometimes it's it's when it comes in a call, right? Was that a W six something? Or I thought it was a W six and then the next number was a six. Oh, that was a B. And then by the yeah. time I do that I lost the rest of his call. You know, so it's, it's those things that you just kind of uh, you just got to train your brain to, to try to get to. But it's those those repeating, especially the ones with the repeating bits are the ones that uh, are just getting me you know, most of the time, you know. But it's just a matter of practice. Now, it also helps. Uh, um, when I was about four or five, my dad was uh, teaching my sister and I Morse code because he was a radio man in uh, World War II. And so he would send code to us. And so we actually learned Morse code before we could form full sentences. So <laughs> it actually is a second language to me. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. Hey, let me yeah, make actually, a quick uh, announcement here really quick. Um, if you're out there listening on uh, Shortwave 5130 WBCQ, you're listening to Amateur Radio Roundtable. It's a show about ham radio, amateur radio. And we're glad to have you tonight. Send us an email to Tom at w5kub.com let us know where you are give us a signal report uh, also if uh, we've got some new people that just came in uh, the show um, if you missed the first half of the show it was a great show we had uh, Paul uh, Daniels with us from uh, Antarctica we had a great uh, discussion with him about Antarctica all of our shows are recorded so you can go back later tonight and you can you know you, you can pull up the video and you can watch it again or you can watch it tomorrow. So uh, everybody hit that subscribe button. We really need to hit the subscribe button. It helps us out a whole lot. Hit the like button. And uh, thank you so much. And back to what were we talking about? CW? Yeah. Morse code. Well, my Morse code experience is somewhat similar. Uh, 
course, growing up as a novice, I had my speed way up there because you had to get it to 13 words yep. a minute and pass the general in like, what, a year or two. That's right. But uh, over the years, I'd let it go away. But when I did the first Arduino book, one of the projects in there was a random code generator, just like you were talking, yep. Tom, with the, the characters. And just sitting in here, having it on the desk in the background while I was testing it, I noticed that my code speed increased from, you know, mm -hmm. six or seven words a minute. That by the end of the testing, I was up to 12 and 13 just, just by having it in the background. Yeah, I think I think just osmosis will do that. You know, even if you're not concentrating on on copying, it just having it on. Because before before COVID, when I was out on the road, you know, for work and spending my, most of my days in the car, you know, sometimes I'd park the radio on, uh, you know, somewhere on on twenty or forty CW, and uh, and just with it just driving around, just copying in my head what I could. But just having it in the background there, I think uh, certainly helped a lot. So, uh, but I try to make it a point to get up here to the shack. Um, you know, a couple of days, a couple of nights a week at least. Uh, even if I'm not putting contacts in the log, I'm just tuning around and listening. And uh, as I said lately, I'm kind of following Bill's advice of listening faster than I can, than I'm comfortable with, and then dialing back and seeing that I can copy better with uh, you know some of the other stations. So, but it's still a process. And you know, I, I you know, I've got friends who are who are so proficient that they could be carrying on a CW conversation with somebody with one hand and, and talking to me with another com completely separate conversation and literally just using two different parts of his brain to make that happen. But uh, I'm nowhere near that at this point yet. <laughs> yeah. And I'll never forget that uh, television segment with uh, Chip Margelli going up against the uh, texters with his CW key. Oh, that was on uh, on the Tonight Show or something. They yeah, did we've, that? Uh, we've yeah. had Chip on here uh, a few times, and we've we've also uh, had that video on. How fast were they sending when they were doing that? Lightning. I, yeah. I, I don't remember. <laughs> hey, I, I saw a video the other day on Facebook. This guy had two electronic keys, one in the left hand and one in the right, and he was sending fairly fast with both hands. I need to find it. I mean, it was unbelievable. I need to find it. No, not happening. I need to find it. <laughs> Why do you think I designed the CW keyboard? You do not want me handling a key. And you know, I built your keyboard, and it works really great, dear man. Yeah, you know, I've still been I've still been doing ninety percent, ninety five percent of my CW with a straight key. Um, yeah. I do have a set of paddles, and I I can concentrate and actually use them, but. Uh, I know that I, I, using a straight key is going to limit my my sending speed uh, compared to what I could do with a set of paddles. But I I still I guess I I'm of the belief that having that pattern you know, kind of ingrained in my fingers is also going to help it in my brain. So, and actually, uh, my favorite key is the one off your left shoulder in the uh, on the image behind you. The okay. classic J thirty eight. That yep. is a wonderful key. Yeah, and if you adjust it so that it's uh, if a, like a fly lands on the paddle yeah. and it will go off. If you get it to that point, I can send 30 words a minute on a straight wow. key. Wow. Yeah. The nice thing oh, about man. a straight key is that everybody's got a little lilt or a, a rhythm to an yeah. individual rhythm. And uh, back in the early days of telegraph, people would under would know who was sending because yeah. they recognized the operator his little rhythm. Yeah. I, that was, it, was, it was more personalized than 
than the electronic heaters or the, the yeah there are there are a couple of folks that are on on 40 meters quite a bit that i could tell who they are because of of that little because it's not so little with some of these guys in terms of how much they exaggerate certain dits and daws or whatever but yeah that that key right there over my shoulder is actually a uh a, a jw bunnell from 1929 so it's uh hey, it's hey as old guys. as my house is <laughs> hey and also back when we first got our novice license learning 60s you could tell who a person was by the chirp oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah hey you know I, i'm really uh, i'm really happy to see there are a lot of new hams of course code is not required anymore there are a lot of new hams that are wanting to try morse code and that's great i think they should learn it uh, it's kind of like riding a bicycle. I've never forgot it. I was up, you know, extra class at 20 words a minute. I think now I could probably easily do the 13. I probably couldn't do 20 anymore. But uh, there's a lot of people interested in getting to, to learn uh, their uh, CW now, and that's great. But like Glenn, you were talking about earlier, we didn't have a choice back when we, when we got our novice license at five words a minute. We had, thir we had 12 months to upgrade to general and that was you had to have 13 words a minute and if you didn't upgrade in 13 months you couldn't renew your license it was over with uh, yeah it was over one and done yeah that up to, to two years by the time i got there yeah but uh, let me let me tell you about the straight key that i ran across a couple years back i guess about 10 years ago found it on ebay and it is a very heavy set uh chinese key and uh, it's really, really nice. I'll have to show it one night. But I mean, that the thing itself must weigh about two pounds. Wow! It's just that heavy. And so, I mean, you put it on a desk; it's not moving. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, I, I, yeah. The the one that's uh, sitting here, that Bunnell, I picked up at a local, um, just a local flea market that that runs like every weekend here and. I got it for a couple of bucks because the guy didn't really know what it was. And I, the same place I found an old uh, um, uh, signal electric spark key from like the, from the 19 teens. I've got that one too, but that one's got a bit of a hollow mechanical sound to it when I use it. So it was a little distracting. So I, I usually use that, that Bunnell. And then uh, the one I showed you, Bill, a couple weeks ago, that, uh, that little, um, that little Vibroplex Camelback. That's the one I did at the at the video on tonight. Uh, and that's got a really nice feel to it. The only problem is it's got felt on the bottom. So it tends to skate around on the desk a little bit. So I might peel the felt off and put some uh, some adhesive back like silicone rubber on it. So it kind of plants itself on the desk and doesn't move. So here's a, here's a code practice oscillator. And this is a 1960s model right here. Oh, look at that. Uh, this is a 1960s model and you've got your own off switch. You've got your um, your your tone, and you got your volume here. You there's a jack on the back for the key, and um, of course, uh, let me see if I can open this thing. Back then, they didn't, they didn't make things like they used to now. But uh, back then, I mean, here's the here's the inside. Of course, the screen you know protects the speaker. It goes up here, but. Yeah. Uh, there, there it is right there. There's a whole lot in there. I think this was a $99. Oh, hey, look at there. I've got, I've got the schematic on there. Look, a little 555 <laughs> right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You and that's the nice thing there. about that. What was that? What, Bill? The nice thing about that, Tom, since it's in a cigar box, it keeps yeah. the smoke in the inside. That's right. of the I never lost any smoke <laughs> with this one right here. But this was a, this is a King Edward. Um, 
code practice oscillator. Not many people. Well, there's probably a lot of people that had these. I mean, yes. those were the perfect enclosures back then. That's right. That was before Altoids chins. Yeah. I got mean, this one here was actually as a kit that uh, one of my friends of mine, actually uh, a late friend of mine, uh, W2OU Drew, uh, was a really great Elmer here, uh, uh, became a silent key last month, but uh, he's involved with a club that uh, was doing was building this little CW practice oscillator with a local group of kids. So I did a video to show how to build this. They used that video to teach the kids how to use this. And it's just a little two-transistor uh, oscillator, got a speaker kind of on the back of it. And I forget what the whole kit was. They bought a bunch of them for the kids to assemble, so they taught them how to solder. And then uh, the Morse code is kind of written, you know, kind of printed on the back. You have to kind of memorize it because you can't see it when you're sending. But it was a neat little kit that the, the kids mm -hmm. put together. So it was a nice little project. That is nice cool. Stuff. Hey, by the way, I just um, I checked in with Chip. And he said when he was on Jay Leno, they were sending, he sent at 29 words per minute, which okay. was one minute faster than the world record for the text messaging. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And with that, I'm going to sign off for the night because Dwayne's getting some hand surgery at oh dark o'clock in the morning, oh. so we got to be up and out the doors first thing in the morning. Okay, so. well, all right. I'll say 73, everybody. See I'll see you hopefully next week. If you can right. make it next week, even if you're late, we'll take you. All yeah, right. I'll probably right. just, I might just be a few minutes late, but okay. I expect I'll be here. Okay, we'll see you later. All right. Good night. Bye, everybody. Bye. Take, right. take care. All right. All right. Hey, oh. Uh, I want to make you this uh, do a little uh, spill here about you know we've got a lot of people been waiting for us to launch uh, our W5KUB27 balloon. Uh, it's probably going to be about ten days from now. Uh, I've got uh, I'm waiting on the special one mil material to come in. Uh, it's in, it's already being shipped. I just don't have it yet. And then this uh, this next weekend I've got to go to a uh, college graduation down in Mississippi. So we're probably 10 days, 12 days away from launch, but we really think, <clears throat> in a number of show, and I've been working with a lot of people, we really think that this balloon will fly at 50, 55,000 feet. We think that's where it's going to fly. And, you know, I, I, we're trying to break that ceiling, that 44,000 foot ceiling. Um, about the only thing that for a Pico balloon that's going to fly higher than, well, that high is the SBS balloon. They're quite expensive, and that's that's the maximum altitude you, you know, you're going to get with about 44,000. So uh, we're trying to break that ceiling of 44,000, and we're trying to also come up with a very inexpensive um, balloon that will. Uh, we'll break that ceiling. So, going to try to reduce the cost. and going to try to fly at 55,000. We think it will float at 55,000. And um, and we're going to also. Uh, I just found out today they're shipping me some new special batteries. They they're uh, they're supposed to go down to minus 50. Uh, there for this purpose. So we might put a battery on it. To see if we can get some nighttime uh, transmissions uh, with the Dash 27. So, Bill, uh, you've got a few days. I know you're busy with a lot of things, but uh, hopefully we can get the voltage calibration thing uh, uh, solved because we fly a battery. I'd sure like to know kind of what the voltages are. 
Um, yeah. Uh, what what uh, what's the weight of the battery and the capacity of them? You know, I don't know. They just threw some in the tube with oh. the other material. Sent. I'm I'm guessing. I I, I don't know. I, I won't even guess. But the balloon is going to have a, a high lifting, you know, capability. Uh, so uh, I think I think it it will fall within that very easily and not change uh, the altitude much. So this is a, this is that new uh, one mil stuff. It's multi multi layer. Um, they've tested some of this material. Uh, they pressure tested it. Um, it's going to come, and it's it's a larger it's a larger circumference. It's going to it's coming to me in a tubular form. That last one we launched was uh, I think it was uh, laying flat. It was 44 inches wide. Uh, that gave me 88, 88 inch circumference. This is going to be five foot wide, which will give me, you know, a ten foot circumference. Uh, and it, getting an extra capacity is what's going to get us the extra feet in the air. You can make the thing as long as you want, and uh, you know, every time you double, triple, quadruple the length, it doesn't go any higher. It just stays the same because the weight keeps going up. So, um, so Bill, uh, yeah, if you can help us with that part and make that work um that'll be great and i'm thinking i'm thinking it's going to fly 55 um and guess what if if that one stays up and flies 55 we're going to go 65 to 70. 65 to 70. what i'm going to do i'm going to take i'm going to take some of these 10 foot uh, circumference and cut them open we're going to splice them together we'll, we'll have a 20 foot We'll have a 20-foot uh, circumference, and um, we found that it looks like the tape really sticks them together good. So we might we might here this summer have something up in the 65 or 70,000 feet. But first, we want to do the 55,000. The nice thing about that altitude is, particularly during the summer, it'll pretty much hang overhead, uh, maybe go five to ten miles an hour. Yeah, that's the yeah. zone of the minimum wind field, and uh, so you could put a crossband repeater on it, um, and slow scan television. You could do all kinds of fun stuff with that. Yeah, as long as we could carry the weight. Um, a crossband repeater, you yeah. can actually make one of those uh, pretty lightweight. Yeah, um, you know that may be something we do in the future. You know. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you that the, the wind speed is going to be practically almost nothing. If we get, if we get in the 55 or 60,000 foot, I think it, the wind speed is something like five knots, whatever that is. It's going to, it's going to be low. So it'll, it's going to be real low. It, it'll take a long time to go around the world, but yep. you could have potentially a long duration uh, yeah. As it slowly drifts across the country, you could have, like I say, uh, a simplex repeater even, which uh, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, you basically talk for 20 seconds, it records it, and then plays it back. And uh, we've we've done that on some of our larger weather balloons. And uh, uh, we had coverage on 2 meters and 440 from, uh, you know, a 12-state area. Uh, basically, uh, we had two stations 700 miles apart talking to each other 
using the balloon as a repeater. Yeah, I've got a little uh, simplex repeater board in here. It's in a little box about the size of a cigarette package. Actually, it's smaller than that. Yeah, a Radio Shack. Yeah, it's a Radio, it's a radio Shack. That's what it was, a Radio Shack. Uh, that was a really nice one, uh, but repeater. they no longer make that. But Argent Data still makes a simplex repeater module. It's about the same size. Uh-huh. And uh, they they still have those, uh, and it, theirs is more capable. You can do some Morse code ID and different features with it, um, and actually control it via touch tone. So it's a it's a pretty nice little simplex repeater. So all you need is a little small handy talkie and the simplex repeater module, and yep. you've got yourself a repeater in the sky. Yeah, yeah. So under FCC uh, uh, regulations, how do we control it? Uh, well, you can actually control it through a UHF link. Uh, right. If you had another UHF uh, radio up there, you could control it yeah, through that. Yeah, and now we're putting another radio up there. Well, some of these receivers, and maybe Alan can help you with mm -hmm. that, uh, there's some really, uh, I mean, years ago I had little tiny receiver modules that weighed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, next to nothing. And right. so there's, I know there's a number of kits uh, receiver kits and transmitter kits that are super super lightweight mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well you got to think it'll work i mean you take something as small as this and and it it's unbelievable that, that and you don't that, have to that transmit nine thousand miles it's just unbelievable man i mean you know and you don't have to send up the whole case of a, of a handy talkie you can right. remove the case right. and just use the innards yeah Okay, we'll get some things to do then. We got about six minutes before we sign off on our shortwave station. We've had and fun was, tonight. That was we an interesting segment uh, earlier with the yeah. down from the Antarctica because I said that's that's one thing I always I always thought was so interesting on this this card that I got from Admins and Scott. Yeah, you know, that just the the altitude and how much that's it's almost all ice. And then they also list on the card the temperature range for the Edmonton Scott South Pole Station, minus five Fahrenheit to minus one hundred and seventeen Fahrenheit. Is the temperature range? So they're not only being another what two thousand kilometers, a thousand kilometers further south than where uh, you know where uh, we had our visitor tonight, where Paul was, but uh, but then also being basically nine thousand foot higher in elevation. Uh, mm -hmm. The temperatures is that much colder. But um, but that was cool. So uh, I'll definitely have to keep an ear out for uh, for him on uh, on twenty. It sounds like he gets pileups whenever he gets on. But uh, knowing that he's he's twelve hours different from us, um, I'll have to keep that in mind too. At least from here on the east coast, he said is it's actually twelve hours exactly different. So uh, mm -hmm. um, we'll have to see. <laughs> and uh, well, I guess he'll be in permanent gray line for a while, right? Because he's gray line for everybody <laughs> yeah, <laughs> until. Yeah. You know, probably about uh, the middle of May until June, where it goes to permanent sunset. He's kind of in somebody's gray line anytime during the day, so that's pretty cool. So, uh, the uh, friend of mine who was stationed in Antarctica on the uh, South Pole station, um, when it gets down to minus 100 Fahrenheit, he was wearing a jacket called the 300 Club. And I asked him, what's the 300 Club? And he says, well, when it get, drops down to minus 100, 
uh, we get in the sauna bath and crank it way up. And when it gets to about 200 degrees, we run out into the minus 100 degree temperature and run around the little barbershop pole and back into the building, having dropped 300 degrees in temperature. And we get to wear this jacket. Oh, I wouldn't recommend gosh. it for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to do that. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Well, I remember you see, I've seen, you know, probably everybody's seen those videos once, once it gets down like to, to 40 or 50 below Fahrenheit, or 40 below is both the same Fahrenheit and Celsius. But you take a hot cup of coffee and toss it in the air and just vaporizes and, and uh, goes instantly to just fog before it and even. You don't has- have to go to the South Pole or uh, the North Pole to, to make that happen. Uh, Wyoming, for example. Yes. <laughs> right. Mm hmm. Pretty cool stuff. It looks like Don in the chat room said the last time you heard Paul, uh, uh, the pileup was terrible. So uh, I guess uh, I probably have a tough time competing here with just 100 watts and a, uh, a dipole antenna that's too close to the ground. But at least it'd be interesting to hear him anyway. Well, that's why we have to set up a secret frequency. Right. We don't tell now anybody. It's, re- it's really amazing how often I hear the German uh, Neumeier station. It's Delta Papa Zero. Papa Oscar Lima, uh, I can hear them on Whisper um, quite often, mm-hmm. and they're not running that much power. And they had a ship that was supply ship coming down to them, and it was DP zero POL slash MM, and I could copy them and on Whisper as well. Wow. So uh, the propagation to the to the South Pole is actually happens quite a bit. Nice, nice. Mm-hmm. All right, we're at two minutes to sign off. Anybody got any last-minute things you want to talk about? I think I'm good. But, uh, yeah, it's a great segment. And uh, But I think you know, planning to get uh, to send something down there, you know, maybe in November, December, uh, maybe it's something you can get up in the air before he leaves. I think he said he's leaving in February. Mm-hmm. But that'd be a fun, uh, fun project. And uh, like I said, if the, if the wind's down there, just kind of keep it over Antarctica. And it's and at least for, you know, from December through February, it's got a, kind of in permanent sunshine. It could be solar powered for for weeks and not go anywhere. That'd be yep, kind of cool. Yep. I'm looking here real quick at the wind, and let's see what uh, what it looks like for the south, far far Antarctica. Let's see if I can figure out. It's going to be like a boomerang. You launch it, you just reach out with the hand yeah, behind you look and catch at this. it. <laughs> So we're going to go down. Uh, here we go. Here we go. Let's see. We're right. Yeah, he was a little bit further further west than there. I was looking on the map. Um, I don't even know what I'm looking at. Yeah, uh, see that where that kind of dark purple spot right is? Right here. Yeah. That's kind of, but he's, 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 he's from there. He's kind of northwest to the coast, I think is where I'd seen it. Or maybe he's just directly north of that. Okay, but he's in that so area. Let's, uh, let's go up to uh, about 45. Let's go up to. There we go. Now we're up to, you know, in a high altitude, 40,000, something like that. So let's look and see what what it looks like here. He's kind of on that little right. thing that's sticking out there, like right underneath. Where, you you got to go a little bit closer to the coast there. That Is little over kind here? of, right where it's kind of stick, you got that spot that kind of goes, or kind of almost north a little peninsula, a little bit the east of where you are. It kind of goes north again. 
Yeah. He's kind of on that northern tip, okay. right in that area, right there. Yeah. All right. So I'm looking at the wind here, and it uh, looks like it's doing a good circle right here. Let's see. It's hard to tell down here. Uh, well, I don't know. It's it just all. I think the wind's just really messed up down here, to tell you the truth. <laughs> it's going all different directions. Uh, I guess from down here, you can go all different directions at the same time. I don't know. All right. I don't know. All right. I got an early meeting tomorrow. Right, I guess. About. So uh, good to see you guys, everybody, tonight. And uh, we'll see you next week. All right. We'll see you. And it is this time to sign off on our short wave. Uh, thanks, everybody out there for listening on WBCQ 7490. We'll see you next uh, week. This is Amateur Radio Roundtable, a show about ham radio. We'll see you. All right.